This is your Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Hope everyone's doing great out there. Beautiful sunshine. Loving it. Got the kids outside for a lot of yesterday once they were back from school and everything. It's just night and day when you were able to walk outside in shorts, t-shirts, things like that. So I'm not going to talk about the weather forever, but man, we've been waiting so long for this. Go outside Take advantage of this and listen, of course, to Daily Delivery while you do that. Great show coming up today. Rachel Blount, who covers a lot of different things at the Star Tribune, including horse racing, will be on in just a little bit to talk about the Kentucky Derby this weekend. Not one, but two Minnesota horses in the Kentucky Derby, including Zandun, a favorite to win it. Unbelievable. Rachel's been down in Louisville and parts nearby for most of this week, gaining access to, you know, behind the scenes stuff, the lead up to the big race this weekend. So I talked to her. Great stuff from her. So I hope you enjoy that conversation on what what this week has been like and whether a Minnesota horse can win the Kentucky Derby. Got to get to the wild big game three tonight in St. Louis with the series shifting there. Series tied 1-1. Very interesting matchup so far. A couple of lopsided scores. Um, I think things are going to tighten up, though, once things get going in St. Louis here. And I've got some keys to those games. Twins. An eventful Thursday lost Carlos Correa to an apparent broken finger. Rocco Baldelli, Dylan Bundy, Luis Arise go on the COVID list. Twins lose to Baltimore. Some adversity for this team. Hasn't been a ton of it this year outside of that, you know, short-term Byron Buxton injury. But how they navigate this stretch will be interesting to see. And we got to get to Dave Benz, longtime Timberwolves broadcaster, let go by the team. Um, got some comments from Dave uh, via Chris Hine, our Timberwolves writer. I want to relay those and uh, and get to that towards the end of the show as well. But first, what did I miss? Lynx open the season tonight. And a tough one right off the bat at Seattle. What's expected to be one of the best teams in the league. Um, we'll hear from Cheryl Reeve here in a little bit, head coach of the Lynx and general manager as well. She was asked earlier this week about roster construction, the difficulty of putting a team together in this day and age. I thought that was an interesting answer, so I want to play that for you. But just the outlook of this team is very interesting this year. A lot of moving parts, a lot of veterans. They made some news earlier this week when they waived Lasia Clarendon when they late when they waived um Crystal Dangerfield, the rookie of the year from 2020. Those players not expected to be brought back, at least not right away. Kent Youngblood does a great job covering the Lynx, um, reporting that on you know sometime Friday the Lynx are gonna add two more players to the roster on hardship waivers, but those two players expected to be Yvonne Turner and Nicolina Milic. Now, Turner had a good preseason for the Lynx, um, you know, had a lot of points. She's 34, she's a veteran. Milic, 6'3 center, um, not played in the WNBA, but probably gives them some size inside. So, you know, the roster definitely in flux right now. Kayla McBride playing overseas for them right now. Demiris Dantas out with an injury. Angel McCautry not on the trip, still recovering from that offseason ACL. 
Um, so we're still recovering from the offseason. She had the ACL injury last year. And, of course, Nafisa Collier, the big story this offseason, pregnant, expecting a child soon. So don't know if she will play at all this season. Obviously, the bigger, happier news is that she's going to become a mother, and the uh, pre- playing is the secondary part of that story. But definitely makes for a complicated situation as the team pieces together its roster in what will be Sylvia Fowle's final season in the WNBA. Now, the Lynx still have plenty of talent on a roster that is, you know, turned over in recent years but has been to the playoffs 11 straight seasons, went 22 and 10 a year ago, upset by Chicago in that playoff game, but you know, still aspirations for this team to at least make it back to the playoffs. He's looking at a lot of different WNBA power rankings from different sources right now. See, them anywhere from like 6th to 8th in the league is kind of where they're slotting in right now, and that would be good enough for a playoff berth. There's 12 teams in the league. Eight of them make the postseason. Um, but definitely some wiggle room there. You know, when, you, when you're when you slotted in there, it kind of means teams see you in the, or, you know, people see you kind of being in the middle of the pack, and a lot of whether they slide down, slide up, or kind of finish right there has a lot to do with how these veterans perform, how their health holds up, things like that. I mean, you've got Fowles, who's 36, McCautry still trying to come back from that, that knee injury that she suffered in the preseason in 2021. Um, she's 35. You know, they, they've got Ariel Powers, who's trying to stay healthy this year after having a tough, tough season last year with injuries. Um, they've got a lot of good players on on this team a lot of good veteran players but they also have a lot of question marks maybe more question marks than they've had in other seasons you know and just the 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 flux of the roster like I noted with with how much it changed just this week with with the waving of those players the reshaping of the roster things like that hard decisions had to be made by Cheryl Reeve and like I noted at the beginning she was asked about that and it's kind of interesting that the WNBA has a very inflexible salary system it's not like the nba where you got this soft cap you know squishy money you don't know exactly what's what when and where you know teams can get out from underneath stuff you can you know you can kind of work work things to a slightly different degree you know it's it's not like you know it, it's not like the number you have is, is the number you have to hit you can go to the luxury tax stuff like that in the nba the, the wnba you can't go over a certain number. So as players have started to get paid more, you're starting to see teams have to make these hard decisions. And I saw Brianna Stewart came out and said, you know, this is unacceptable. We, after she saw some of the cuts, including those Lynx cuts, said, I hate seeing so many great players being cut from WNBA teams. Uh, Stewart, who plays for Seattle, wrote uh, wrote this week, salaries went up, but a very restrictive hard cap has put teams in a bind. We need to soften it to allow our league to grow. So that's interesting to me, you know, just watching different players reacting to this. And here's how Cheryl Reeve characterized the difficulty in putting together a roster these days, at least from her standpoint. I think it's more difficult for the Lynx. I can't speak for the whole league. Um, You know, there are challenges. It's more difficult for the Lynx because I think for so many years, you know, if you had a roster of 11, you knew what your cap was. Like, so like the cap thing is real in terms of not having enough money, but you never have enough money. You give us more money, we'll spend more money. So it's always, cap is always something that's a, will quote, be a problem. But we typically as a roster would um, know for sure eight, sometimes nine players. And you just had to make decisions on what you wanted to do, you know, at the end of your roster. 
Um, and so obviously since those days, you know, things, things have been a little more challenging and, um, you know, free agency, I think change with free agency has changed things. Um, we didn't have this sort of activity, you know, five years ago. So um, it's, it's, is it difficult? I don't know if that's the right word. Um, you, you have to be really thoughtful, intentional, plan, um, pivot uh, where necessary. Um, but, but there's a lot more when I think about the GMs of the past, um, you know, they, they would work like two times a year and, and that was it. And now a GM's working all the damn time. So, um, so from that standpoint, you know, that, that should tell you something, you know, that, that requires a lot more work. And a lot of teams in the league only carrying like 11 players, even though they could have more, they just can't under the salary cap. They're, they're maxed out with the number of players they have. They don't have, you know, when you have a certain number of veterans who make a certain amount of money, you have to stay under a certain number. So that will be something to watch for the Lynx as well. If they have any other injuries this year, if they have some, you know, some tough times, might be hard for them to add. This is going to be kind of the team they have probably going forward. And can that team stay healthy enough? Can these veterans come together and play well enough to send Sylvia Fowles out, not just with a, you know, a fringe playoff berth, but with something more? I wouldn't bet against this team. They always seem to do a little bit better than we think, but this year will be a challenge in that regard, starting tonight at Seattle. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Like I said at the jump, I, I want to get to Rachel Blount here in a minute because I really enjoyed our conversation about horse racing, but I feel like we need to talk twins for just a couple of minutes too because some big news coming out of that Thursday game. Sounds like Carlos Correa is going to miss significant time with an apparent broken finger. Um, he was hit twice by pitches in that game. So, you know, tough day for the Twins. We found out early in the day on Thursday that Rocco Valdelli has COVID-19 out for, you know, out for a while, obviously, with that. Luis Arias and Dylan Bundy all also testing positive. So one of the Twins' best hitters, one of the guys that's been in the rotation who had three very good starts early in the year before hitting some hard times in these last two games. He's on the list as well. So, you know, how they go forward is going to be interesting to watch. Will they call up Royce Lewis, shortstop, you know, who's been tearing it up down in AAA, who has, you know, who's their number one draft pick from 2017, number one overall pick in that draft. Is this his time to shine or is it too soon? Do they want to see him more in St. Paul, get some more seasoning? They might have no other choice because they don't really have a lot of other natural shortstops on this roster or in this organization, at least not for long-term fits. And if Correa is going to be out for weeks, at least, with this injury, then uh, then we're talking about, you know, needing someone who can play every day, and maybe that is Royce Lewis. So bad breaks for the Twins on Thursday, but could lead to a look at the future with Royce Lewis. We'll just have to see how they decide to play that one. But you know, like I said, some adversity for a team that had been rolling pretty good before these last two games, losses to Baltimore and this injury slash COVID news. They head to Oakland now, which should get you a test and a look at how they will kind of survive this stretch. Really happy to be joined today on Daily Delivery by Rachel Blount, covers horse racing for the Star Tribune, covers a lot of different things, including the Olympics and, and other 
other things, but is our horse racing expert. Doesn't always get to use that expertise at the Kentucky Derby, Rachel, but you've been down in Louisville and parts around there for a few days now, reporting a rather extraordinary Minnesota story with two Minnesota horses in this race uh, coming up this weekend, including one with a, a very good chance to win it. Absolutely. The uh, the favorite, the morning line favorite at this point is Zandon, and he is owned by Jeff and Jill Drown, who live in the St. Cloud area. And Zozos is our other Minnesota-owned horse. He's owned by Barry and Joni Butso of Eden Prairie. The Butsos have raced at Canterbury since 1985, since the place opened as Canterbury Downs, and they are Hall of Famers at Canterbury. The Drowns got in a little bit more recently, but have really high-end horses. So it's going to be so much fun to watch these two. And this morning, I got to see both of them in the flesh for the first time. This morning, I was able to go out to Churchill Downs for the morning training session, and they are both just fine, fine looking horses, absolutely breathtaking. And everybody out there was just wowed by them. Um, You know, we've talked about, you know, before we started recording, how unusual it is even to just have one Minnesota horse in this, you know, in this race and, you know, the, the best horse race of them all to have two of them there. I mean, what, how do we, how do we explain that aside from just, is it, you know, just a just a year where the the stars align and it's just a, a luck sort of thing, or or is or is there something more to it here? It very much the stars aligning, Michael. You're absolutely correct about that, and it's kind of funny. It's the other coincidence here is that both of these horses happen to have names that begin with Z. <laughs> so that in itself is unusual, and then to have both of them owned by Minnesotans is just a very strange coincidence. So the Butzos have been in the business for a very long time. They bred. Sozos. So they did not purchase him at a sale. They own his mother. They chose a stallion that they thought would be a good match for her. They bred them. Zozos was born uh, on a farm where the Butzos keep their horses here in Kentucky three years ago. And that is a particularly satisfying way to get a horse to a Kentucky Derby. It wasn't going to the auction and just opening the wallet and you know giving whatever amount of money it took. This is a horse that that they dreamed up the mating. It's from a mare that raced for them in their colors that they just dearly love. So they're really attached to Zozos, and it's just magical the way he's come along. He's only raced three times. He's quite lightly raced, but his last race, which got him into the Derby, was a very strong second place to Epicenter in the Louisiana Derby. Epicenter it looked like was going to be the Kentucky Derby favorite. But Zandon has been so impressive in his works here at Churchill and was such an impressive winner of the Bluegrass Stakes about a month ago that he did get the nod as the favorite. Zandon was purchased at a sale, but Jeff Drown and uh, his bloodstock agent, Mike Ryan, have a very good eye for a horse. And they picked him up as a yearling for, I believe it was $170,000 at one of the big Kentucky sales. So they simply saw a horse that looked like he could develop and he did develop. And Jeff Drown said this morning that Zandon has been a very healthy, very sound horse. And he thinks that's part of, of why they were able to get this horse to the Derby. He hasn't had any physical problems that knocked him off the trail. He's been able to train very well, race very well. And here they are. 
That's amazing. And you've been down in, you know, in the area for, like I said, since kind of the start of the week, what have you been able to report, see what's it been like to be on the scene for a while now? Oh, it's been tremendous. The access has just been great. Both the drowns and the butsos have allowed me to be up close and personal to see what the experience is like for them. On Monday, I accompanied Joni Butso to the post position draw was in a very fancy lounge at Churchill Downs. And there was a very fancy party afterward for all the horse owners up on the sixth floor of Churchill, so high up that it was actually higher than the Twin Spires. We were in a vantage point where we could kind of look down at the Twin Spires, which is very cool. And then on Tuesday and early yesterday, we visited a number of horse farms. I was tagging along with a group of very close friends of the Butzos, folks that they have come to the Derby with for many, many years, just as Derby tourists, just to come for fun. And so on Tuesday, we did some tours of horse farms in the Lexington area. We were able to see both of Zozos' parents, his mother, and some other broodmares the Butzos own with some other young horses of theirs. And then moved on to a couple of the big stallion farms, which it's so funny. Horses, they live in barns. You have to call it a barn because a horse is living in there. But these barns are nicer than some people's houses. They are just absolutely astonishing. They are, are so elegant, so beautiful. And we saw a number of very big name horses that were were brought out for the group to see, brought out of their stalls and kind of paraded around for us. We got to see American Pharaoh and Justify, the last two Triple Crown winners. Uh, We saw Mendelssohn. We saw Munnings, who is Zozo's sire. We saw Uncle Mo, who is one of the great sires. And these are horses who, you know, not only are they famous and very successful and, and absolutely gorgeous, but If you want to breed your mare to one of these horses, many of them go for stallion fees of $100,000 and more. So it just, it really brought home what a big dollar business this is. That's amazing. You brought up, um, you know, at the beginning of that discussion, which was awesome. You you brought up the the post draw the other day, which I wanted to get into for a minute because it feels like that was pretty influential in setting some of the lines. And it was a big deal for Zandon in terms of getting you know, maybe getting that, that spot. What, why, why, for, for those who don't follow horse racing as closely, why is the post position so important? And you know, why was that considered so favorable? It's particularly important in the Kentucky Derby because the Kentucky Derby with 20 horses has the largest field of any race in North America. There are no other races that allow 20 horses. In fact, they ended up building a special gate that would hold all 20. They used to have to use two gates. And then that was really a a question with the post position because you didn't want to be where the the two gates joined. It was a bad spot to be. So they now have a special 20-stall gate that was built in Australia, especially for the Kentucky Derby. So if you're on the rail, it was kind of funny when they announced it was Mo Donegal. It was a very nice horse. He drew the rail. And when they announced that, literally everybody in the room groaned. It was, oh, man, nobody wants the rail in the Kentucky Derby because with 19 horses outside of you and they're all going to go for position immediately as they come out of the gate, there is a lot of 
banging and bumping and jostling. And if you are on the rail, you are likely to get the worst of it. You can get run right into the rail sometimes by horses that dash out of the gate and they're trying to cut in and get a decent inside position. You can really get banged around there. So quite often the horse on the rail, that jockey will either gun them out of the gate and get them out clear or hold them back a little bit just to avoid all the crashing that, that can happen there. And then on the outside, just like um, like when you think of races for human beings on the track, if you've got an outside lane, your trip around the track is going to be longer than the person that's got an inside lane. You're going to have to cover more distance because you're farther out from the inside. So those horses will have to run a little farther. And they are going to try, the horses in the outside gate positions will try to cut in fairly early, usually before the first turn. So the first time they're passing the grandstand, you'll see those horses try to angle in and get better position to be only, say, three or four paths off the rail instead of being out, you know, 17, 18, 19 wide. That's interesting. And it makes perfect sense. But for those who don't necessarily, you know, maybe someone who watches this once or twice a year, maybe they don't understand why that was so important. So when we get to the race, um, last couple of things for you, Rachel, really enjoying this conversation. When we get to the race, um, you know, obviously when, you know, there's a lot of good horses in this race, there's, you know, a lot of different favorites in this race. I mean, what, you know, what do you, when you think about a Minnesota horse potentially winning this race, what does Zandon have to do to win this race? Zandon is going to have to get a good trip. That is the main thing with the Kentucky Derby and particularly this year in the Kentucky Derby, this is very evenly matched. There are very, very few horses in here that you would look and say that one's got no chance. They, there are at least a dozen horses in here that I think have an absolutely legitimate shot to win it. Maybe even more than that. It's really, it's a good field and a field where nobody has really asserted themselves as a very, a clear favorite. So trip is going to make a big difference here. Zandon's uh, rider is going to need to be uh, very careful with him with where he gets his position early on, try to keep him out of the, uh, the, the bumping and the jostling. And he'll probably, uh, it sounds like he's going to try to save ground a little bit, get down, cut down a little closer to the rail and not be on the rail, but he's going to try to stay up fairly close. Zandon has been a very good closer. In fact, he went from last to first bluegrass stakes when he won that race to get into the Kentucky Derby. But this time the, the trainer, Chad Brown wants to see him a little bit closer to the pace. He won't lead early, but he, they want to see him a little bit closer to the pace, but he will have to get a good trip with those 20 horse fields. Sometimes there's a wall of horses in front of you and a jockey literally has nowhere to go. So he's going to need to make sure that he gets him in a good position early, get him a good trip all the way around there. And then hopefully, I think, I think he's got staying power. I think he's got the mile and a quarter in him. So I don't think the kick at the end is going to be a big deal for him, but he's going to have to stay in good position throughout the race. Last thing for you, I'd imagine the experiences are a little different if you're well, more of a long shot, like Zozo says, compared to Zana. The, the pressure has got to be a little bit different for, you know, those who are riding, owning a, a horse that's got some expectations versus one that wants to win, wants to do well, but maybe is more there for the ride. Have you found that to be the case as you've talked to these folks so far? 
I talked just this morning, actually, to, to Jeff and Jill Drown about are they feeling any pressure with, with Zanon being the favorite? They feel like it's different. They don't have a lot of perspective on it because this is their first derby horse and, in fact, their first trip to the derby at all. Jeff Drown promised himself years ago he wasn't coming here until he had a horse in the race. He didn't want to come as just a tourist. So he has not been to the Derby before. It's all new to him. But he said at this point, they are just enjoying the whole trip. Their five children just arrived today. So they've got a group of kids. Their kids range in age from seven to 16. They all love horse racing. So their kids are here now. They're going to do some more activities. Jeff and Jill were out at the barn today to watch the workouts, to hang out a little bit with Zandon, give him a couple of pats on the neck, talk to the trainer. And they appear to be having the time of their lives. And the Butzos as well are just enjoying the heck out of this. That's awesome. Well, we will enjoy watching it. We will enjoy reading your coverage as we are have, have been already. StarTribune.com. You have front page story. When is that running, Rachel? Uh, we will be running a, an advance for the Derby that will feature our two Minnesota horses in Saturday's paper. And then next week, probably Wednesday, we will have a very large story that will talk about what this week was like for the Drowns and the Butzos. The access that they have given me will allow me to be able to tell our readers, when you've got a horse in the Kentucky Derby, this is what your life is like for a week. These are the cool things that you get to do. These are the emotions that the that you go through. This is how your friends react. So we'll have that story next week. Well, I'm looking forward to reading all of that. And I hope you get to enjoy this as the race gets closer. And all you have to do is write about the race itself and uh, can kind of have, uh, have some fun with that. Rachel, thanks so much for joining me here today on Daily Delivery. And we'll catch up soon, okay? Thanks so much, Mike. Great talking to Rachel, as always, does a great job covering horse racing for the Star Tribune, does great work out at Canterbury, finding good stories out there. But this is, you know, this is a bigger one than we've had for a while with the chance that a Minnesota horse could win the Kentucky Derby. Remember, that race is on Saturday, post time, just before 6 o'clock Central on Saturday. Uh, It's on NBC. You should be able to watch it, you know, however much you care about horse racing and, you know, my interest kind of ducks in, ducks out. I love to watch this race, and I always tune in right before it and catch that, and I will definitely be watching more closely this year with those two Minnesota horses in this race. Let's transition to talk wild for a little bit. You know, they won 6-2 to two on Wednesday. Much, much, much needed win. Cannot overstate how much they needed to win that game and not go into that 2-0 hole going back to St. Louis. But now 1-1 in this series. Both teams won a couple of lopsided games, at least on the scoreboard. St. Louis dominated to a certain degree in Game 1 in that 4-0 victory. Wild get it back with that 6-2 win on Wednesday when the floodgates opened in the first period. Um, you know, that game was tense, though. That game was tight, and I think the Wild's going to have to play a slightly different game when they go to St. Louis now tonight couple of keys to me. One, they got to be a little bit more physical. St. Louis outhit them by almost a 2-1 to one margin in that Wednesday game. I believe it was 39 hits to 21 hits. The Wild is not going to win a road game, probably, if they are not more physical. Number two, 
The penalty disparity still did not work in the Wilds' favor. They got away with it in Wednesday's game. They went two for three on the power play. Blues went one for five, but that is not a winning formula going forward in terms of number of penalties drawn and number of penalties um, allowed to the opponent. St. Louis, if you will remember, has a top five power play and a top five penalty kill. If you engage them in a battle where there's going to be a lot of time in the box, if you're taking four or five penalties a game, four or five power plays a game, you are generally going to lose that matchup to the Blues, especially when you're the Wild, who don't have a great power play, don't have a great penalty kill. Both of those were bottom half of the league this year. This is a five-on-five strength team. This is how they want to play. And you know, some of that is going to be dictated by officiating, and that's frustrating, right? It's, it's going to be dictated by how this game is called. It's going to be dictated by you know what kind of flow referees want in this game. Um, so that part of it that might might be a little bit beyond their control. But what they can control is you know don't don't lunge, don't lunge with your stick. Play play the body, play clean. Don't get into this after the whistle stuff. It's going to be especially important in St. Louis, and I don't think the Wild did a great job of that in Game One or Game Two. So those are a couple things just to watch. I think they got to play kind of a tighter game in Game Three. Not, you know, not tight from a standpoint of, you know, being scared or anything like that, but just kind of like tighten things up a little bit. You got to play a little bit more defensive, a little bit more transition hockey, you know, try to try to play it fairly close to the, close to the vest. You're not going to have that last line change anymore. You're going to have to match with St. Louis, maybe fight them to a draw on some shifts instead of getting too aggressive and, la- and allowing some of those grade A chances that St. Louis can bury. So that's what I'm going to be watching for on Friday night. Let's finish with the cooler. Dave Benz, popular Timberwolves broadcaster, let go, finding out he is not coming back after 10 seasons with the team. A lot of outcry from fans who really like the duo of of, of Dave Benz and Jim Peterson calling those games. You know, he finally had a really good team to call this year with the Wolves making the playoffs. Um, but it sounds like it was a decision by the Timberwolves just to go in a different direction. And Dave talked to our Chris Hine, you know, had was pretty gracious about all of this, of course, that being kind of his personality. He said, I just want to thank them for the amazing outpour- outpouring of support I've seen, talking about fans. I'm absolutely floored and humbled by the reaction. It's very sad to think I'm not going to be part of the narrative of the team going forward, but I will go wherever my next adventure takes me with fond Fond memories of all the fans I've interacted with and met. Wolves had a statement. We'd like to thank Dave Benz for his 10 years of service as the Minnesota Timberwolves play-by-play voice. We appreciate all the memories he has provided our players and fans from his calls throughout the years. We wish him the best of luck in the next chapter of his broadcasting career. As I talked about on Dane Moore's NBA podcast on Thursday, where I was a guest, you know, Dane made a good point. This is basically if, if the Wolves would have wanted... Dave Ben's back. He would be back for whatever reason. They did not. They want to go in a different direction. And whatever you think of Dave Ben's individually, it does seem like, generally speaking, fans liked Dave Ben. So from that standpoint, it is curious to me why the team, why Bally Sports North would make a change. But that is not my decision to make. It is an interesting one, though, from where I sit, and I'll be interested to see what direction they go, who is hired in his place. So 
Sorry to Dave, a great guy, a good guy in this business. I'm sure he will find another job, but it will not be with the Timberwolves. That will do it for me today. We'll see if there's any bonus podcasting this weekend. I did one last weekend when so much was going on. A little less going on right now, but there is that huge Game 3 tonight. If it warrants it, I will do one over the weekend. We will just have to wait and see. Get out there and enjoy the weather regardless. going to be gorgeous today, gorgeous Saturday. And, uh, yeah, I hope you guys get out there and enjoy it because we have been waiting for this a long, long, long time. Thanks for joining me here today. I'm Michael Rand. Back at it for sure on Monday. 